Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. It was one of those nights where she couldn't go to sleep, that maybe you've had a night like that before where you're trying to fall asleep and you never really get there, that every time you close your eyes and that you drift off, you feel that anxiety that's in your gut. And every time you drift off, it feels like a roller coaster and then it kind of wakes you up again. And how do I make sense of life? And where am I going to go from here? And this is the way that I've lived my life. And I never thought these things were going to happen to me. And what's next? It's just a normal human emotion. Before the sun came up that day, she decided to run to the tomb. And she runs to the tomb and she's there and she looks in and it's empty. And she thinks to herself, I have to go. I have to go tell Peter. I have to go tell the other guys what's happened. That he said that these things might take place and that they did. And then John chapter 20 does this funny thing. Go read it on your own. But it's one of these classic like teenage boy stories of adolescent toxic masculinity where John, the writer of John, calls himself the disciple who's beloved by Jesus. What a weird thing to put in your own book, right? It's like you're a blogger writing about yourself. And you're like, this is going to go in the Bible? And so he's telling the story that Peter and the beloved one are running to the tomb, right? And he keeps saying things like, and the beloved one was outrunning Peter. He clearly had issues to work out about Peter in his therapy. (laughs) And so the beloved one gets to the tomb first that it says, right? It's all these weird stories. Just read it. And you're just like, how is this thing even in here? The patriarchy is messed up sometimes, my friends. So yes, demantle it. And so they get to the tomb and they're like, where's Jesus? The men run off and Mary is waiting there. And then the story gets even crazier. Then it says that Jesus appears to her and she's like, oh, the gardener. The gardener? Right? But it's the Bible's way of saying like, oh, there's a new story in a garden. There's something fresh that's taking place here. And she recognizes that it's Jesus. And her eyes are open. He says, go and tell my brothers that I've come again. Right? And you've heard the story before. You understand what the Easter version is. But sometimes it's just that. It's just a story that we've heard, and it happened 2,000 years ago, but it has no teeth anymore. Where's the power of God in this thing? Where is resurrection in this thing that actually makes a difference in my life? That So many of the versions of the Easter story that we've been told, it's just stories that really have uh, nothing for us. And I think that we want to ask better questions. That how does resurrection change our lives? That how does resurrection change the world? And I think that resurrection can be more than a story for us. I think it's something that can actually change who we are and how we think about things. And so today, I have a big idea. My idea is this, is peace. Peace. Not this slide. That one's coming, I promise you. And more (laughs) peace. That what I want to think about Jesus is that what if the thing that resurrection does for us, it just keeps offering us more peace? That what if out of the most chaotic moments out of our lives, what if out of the Fridays, what if out of those moments where you felt like you were going to die, where there was no hope, that there was nothing next, that you're never going to get to Sunday, what if there's more stories of peace? What if all of the versions that you thought of God that didn't work out, all of the versions of God that you're deconstructing, that oppressed you and repressed you, all of those things, what if they don't matter? What if Jesus is just coming, showing us a better version of who God is, and it's just peace and peace and more peace? And so to talk about that, now we've got to talk about some things. We're going to talk about tardigrades in Arendelle. You see where I'm going there. This has nothing to do with Frozen. And if we can talk about tardigrades in Arendelle, then we're going to ask some better questions. And if we can ask some better questions, then we can talk about what Jesus shows us. And if we can see what Jesus shows us, then maybe we have a different version of the story where God's the hero and actually that's the thing that we want. And if God can be the hero of the story, then that time I was camping in Yosemite. And if we can talk about Yosemite, then we can stop pretending to be perfect. 
And if we can stop pretending to be perfect, then we can talk about our part. And then maybe five years too late, but Avengers in game, my friends. Happy Easter to you. Tardigrades, I want to show you something. This is a water bear. Yes. Some of you are just as lonely on Instagram as I am, apparently. That is okay. That is okay. Uh, I am not cool when it comes to social media. These are the types of things that I look at. A water bear is a tardigrade, and a tardigrade is a version of a molecular animal, actually, and they're so microscopically small that they're found in raindrops. Tardigrades, just so you know, are incredibly indestructible. Tardigrades can be evaporated, and then they can be rained out somewhere else. They can hit the ground and still survive. Scientists have done things like put tardigrades in bullets, shot them against walls, and they don't die. We've taken tardigrades, that little water bear, to space, and it lasts in outer space for like 10 days and come back. Tardigrades are found 10,000 feet below the ocean. You're like, this has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with Jesus. Tardigrades are found in the Himalayas. Tardigrades are everywhere. And so the next time that rain is happening on your windshield, you think about that little water bear is dancing for you. I want to show you Arendelle. This is a picture of Arendelle. This just happened a week ago. The Hubble Space Telescope captured the furthest star that we've ever seen. This star uh, started giving off light 12.6 billion years ago. That light is just getting to the Earth. It's so far away that that light took 12.6 billion years to get to us. When that light was leaving its star originally, we weren't even a galaxy yet. We weren't even a solar system yet. That light has been traveling and it finally got to us and we have telescopes that can pick it up. If that doesn't blow your mind, open your joy boxes, my friends. <laughs> the universe is wild. The universe is incredible. Sometimes in the world of progressivism and liberalism and deconstructing, we get into these conversations of, what well, was the resurrection literal or metaphorical? Maybe those are just the wrong questions. Do I believe that God has the power to raise somebody from the dead? I do. Why? Tardigrades! <laughs> Arendelle, that is already so nuts. So can one person be raised from the dead? Sure, and what if that's not even the point of the story? What if the point of the story is not debating did the man actually rise? For me, I believe in the power of God that can do it. What if the power of the story is that what this God man does when he's risen from the grave? That's a very different story that we're trying to live into. And so with that, let's look at John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus, Jesus, it's like sushi chef, sushi chef, it's hard. Say it a lot, it's tough. Jesus, thank you, I'll do it in the Jesus came. I'm not going to do that. That's going to end up, that's going to go viral, I'm going to look bad. So Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Pause there. Jesus comes to show us who God is and who we are. That's the simplest version of the story. We have been given so much complex theology that we have had to let go of so much of it because it hurts us, and this story is oftentimes weird, 
right? The story is oftentimes that magical things happened in a magical garden back in the day with belly buttonless people. And Jesus had to come and solve that problem. And God needed to kill his son to feel better about you. That's an odd story. And again, not the story that's always been given throughout Orthodox Christianity throughout the years. What this story is doing is inviting us into something different about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. I talk with this about my kid, with my kids all the time, and I shared the story in here a few weeks ago, but I'm going to share it again, that we were laying in bed one night, and my kids were asking me some questions about God and things that they don't understand. And I said, isn't that amazing that God is so big and so mysterious that we don't understand everything about God? Tardigrades, Arendelle, you get the point. And isn't it so amazing that God can be so close and relational that we can hold, touch, taste, and see who God is? And I reminded them, and that's why through Jesus, we see who God is. And so I said, who do you think that Jesus is? And they began to tell me, well, Jesus is kind. And Jesus is loving to people. And Jesus is good to people. And then like five minutes went by and Caden came back into my room and says, and God is lovable. I said, so then what does that mean about you? I'm kind, I'm good, I'm lovable. That's all that Jesus is trying to do. So with that in your minds, imagine what's happening in this story. Jesus is coming back. He hasn't seen all of the disciples yet. And this is the first moment after his crucifixion, after he was crucified by the empire, after on that night when he needed his friends, everybody ran away. After all of the brokenness of the world is he's holding it. After all of those things, Jesus doesn't come back and condemn everybody to hell. No, because it's telling us who God is. Then in the most painful, dark, scary moments, when even the disciples know that they weren't there and they're still freaking out because they're like, we were following this guy, now he's dead and now the leaders are coming for us. In that moment, when everything feels like you can't hold on anymore, Jesus shows us who God is. That God steps into the room in our biggest moments of chaos and simply says, peace be with you. Oh, you never thought you were going to get through that. I get it. Peace be with you. Oh, you never thought you'd understand me again or connect with me again. You never thought you'd see me again. I know it. I know it. I know it. Peace be with you. That the word that Jesus is saying here is shalom. That shalom means wholeness and completeness and satisfied. It means healing. It means health. It means that the world is put together in the right way. What if in the moments when you feel most broken apart, when everything feels that it's most entangled, when you can't make sense of things, isn't that when we most need God to say, peace be with you? Shalom. No, I'm with you. No, God, I can't. No, no, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. I'm here for you in these moments. That's what Jesus is coming to show us, a different version of who God is. As Richard Rohr often says that Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. Jesus came to change our minds about God. That we have a better version of who God is. And God is not spiteful and vengeful and angry. Have you ever been told stories about God, that God is holy, and because this God is holy, then he's going to send people who made bad decisions to hell for all of eternity? That's not holy. That's a psychopath. (laughs) Holy means other. Other means you have the ability to see something outside of yourself. Have you ever been in chaos, and you need a friend to come sit with you, and they have the ability to be other right now? For you parents in the room, have you seen your three-year-old losing their it 
I know there's kids in the room, so I'm going to clean it up for Easter one Sunday a year. You're welcome. And you know in this moment, I can reduce my brain to a three-year-old right now, or I can get you a snack. Or I can hold you. Because that's who God is. Now imagine if we have the capacity to be other, how much more does God have the capacity to be other? And isn't that the version that we need in our life? That this God has the capacity to say, peace be with you, even in our biggest tantrums and the most painful moments when the world is against us. So I was in Yosemite. Here's a picture of that with my kids. This was in 2016. That's Caden, that's Bryce. What the world didn't know at that time is Krista was pregnant with Bella and she was morning sick this entire time. And we're hiking all over Yosemite. And right after this picture was taken, I'm holding Bryce, the little guy there, which one of the little guys there, you know, uh, you get which one, the guy in the blue. Um, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at his face and we're in the, the vans in Yosemite in the loop, if you've ever been there before. We're trying to get back to our parking spot because there's like 10, you know, 100,000 people. It, it's crazy in there sometimes. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at Bryce's face and you start to be like, this isn't something... What's going on here? And I realized he's about to vomit. And the bus stops, and I'm grabbing my son, and I'm trying to get him off the bus as quickly as possible. People are getting off. People are getting on. And as I'm holding him, getting off the bus, he poltergeist vomits across the entire row. And the doors close. I'm just like, bye. I want to say sorry, but I can't. And so we get to the car and we get to the camping site and he just keeps vomiting and he's like a year and a half years old and so he, he's like not wanting to drink water and he just doesn't know what to do with himself and finally after an hour or so of this we're just nervous we're like we got to get him to the hospital but there's not a hospital that we can go to in the Yosemite Valley so we got to drive an hour away out of this hospital uh, to find the hospital and we get there and we get to the emergency room and my wife's just holding him and they, they put an IV in him and we got to spend the night there and I go to a hotel with Caden try to get him some rest and the next morning we we think everything is clear and we're okay. And we're like, okay, well, what do we do now? And part of it was like, well, all of our camping gear is still in Yosemite. So we got to drive at least back to Yosemite, go get our camping gear and figure out what to do. And by the time we got back there because of the traffic, we're like, you know what? He's doing good now. Let's just stay the night here. <laughs> and in the middle of the night, I hear my wife yelling, Corey. And I get there and now Caden, my other son, is vomiting everywhere. And he's a little bit older and he's vomiting everywhere. I can at least tell him, here, we're going to take little sips of water. We're going to get some Gatorade. And as the night went on, Bryce and Chris are sleeping in another bed. And Caden and I are wrapped up in a sleeping bag with one another. And each time that Caden would puke, we would like lose a pair of clothing because it was disgusting, right? (laughs) So there's like a bag in the corner of the tent with all of the vomit clothes. And finally, it's like 3 a.m. and there's nothing left. So it's just me in a bag trying to warm my small child, right? And I need his body heat too. I just need something. I need comfort. I need God. And we're there. And he vomits this last time. So I take the sleeping bag and I roll it. So the vomit's in there like it's a, like it's a water bed, right? But it's not next to me. And it's warm. So we're in there holding it. Just waiting for the sun to rise. And I don't think I'm a superhero parent for doing that. I think I'm just a parent who your kid is in chaos. Your kid is in a moment where they don't know what's going on. And I just simply have a moment to be other. And isn't that what God is like? That there's always a God in the moments where we're just like, how can this get any worse that this God can just 
Step in. Roll that sleeping bag back. And peace be with you. Can hold you. Comfort you. Care for you. Be there for you in ways that you can't be there for yourself. And the story goes on. It will go on, I promise. Yep, no, yeah, we're good. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. There's something different going on in the story here that most of us weren't given when we were growing up. At least I wasn't given when I was growing up. Again, Jesus just shows us who God is, that when Jesus comes out of the tomb, that when Jesus is resurrected, Jesus is wounded. What does that tell us about God? What does that tell us about being human beings? It's giving us permission to be wounded ourselves. What if the story of resurrection is that you don't have to have it all figured out now? Sometimes the story of salvation that we were given was not a story of liberation. It was a story where you raised your hand and you said a prayer. Now in that moment, you had to be perfect or things were going to work themselves out. But what if this is a moment for us that when we see the story of Jesus, that we can begin to shed that perfectionism? that we no longer have to pretend that we are perfect. Because even Jesus coming back resurrected still has the wounds and didn't have to. This is God. He was resurrected. Jesus could have come back with like some work done, right? (laughs) Comes out of the tomb, better abs, whiter teeth. All could have been there. But no, it's a story of wounds. Oh, look at my wounds because Jesus is trying to show us something about what it means to be human. I knew Abby a few weeks ago, I was joking with somebody, and we were just talking about these stories that we were given where we had to pretend that we were perfect. I don't know if any of you had these stories as well, but every time before you prayed, you had to confess all the things before you could pray, right? If you didn't, a lot of head nods there, right? You're like, I'm going to my therapist tomorrow. And you have to say all the things that you did wrong so that God would accept your prayers. If not, like it wouldn't like fully upload to heaven or something like that, right? If you didn't confess all the things, God was like, la, 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 la. And so there's this interesting relationship that we had with God where I guess Jesus did it all for me on the cross, but if I do the bad thing, well, then I'm not good, so I gotta like say the forgiveness thing, and then when I say the forgiveness thing again, I raise my hand, or you know, there's youth group and camp, then, then God will hear my prayers. There was the rapture. Oh, God. Another moment of what happened if I just said the bad word at the wrong time, and when Jesus came back, I missed it, because you know, I said, What? And I know it's joking, but we had this weird relationship, this fear, this panic when it came to who God was. But here's the scarier stuff. When you were wounded, when you were imperfect because you were, who could you honestly talk to about it? That these versions of accountability, these versions of truth-telling didn't always work out for us. And perfection oftentimes left us more hurt or more in trauma instead of the capacity to be honest and vulnerable and genuine with where we're at, instead of those moments to invite other people in where they could comfort and care for us, where they could offer us peace, be with you, we had to give a version of the story that was cleaned up because somehow we needed God to be satisfied with us. And what if that's not the story at all? I remember just being a teenage boy, and that's being a teenage boy in evangelicalism is tough. Right? You're in those evangelical groups and they'll ask you questions like, did you have a lustful thought today? (laughs) Thoughts, thoughts. I had lots of them. 2,748 to be exact, right? In fact, I'm 14 years old. Hormones are rushing through my body as we speak and testosterone is going up my spinal cord. I exclusively had lustful thoughts today. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I think in those moments, Jesus comes to us and says, oh, peace be with you. You're not having lustful thoughts. You're just a 14-year-old with hormones. You're a 14-year-old who's discovering who they are as a sexual being. And what if the church needed way better versions of that story? Not a God who leads us into perfectionism, but a God who says, oh, you're just evolving. You're just growing. And even Jesus is up there praying for a frontal lobe for that teenage boy. You know? <laughs> I hope he gets it, because it's going to be a wild eight years from here. And maybe you're the parent. And yeah, I don't care what age your kid is, but you've had that moment where you're like, oh, I, I, I'm, do, I'm doing my best. Do, do, do all kids scream this way? Yes. Yeah. I never, I, I mean, they were so good before. Now I have teenagers. Or like, uh, what do I do with this? And what if God in those moments of your imperfection as parents, because no one gave you a guidebook for your kid or for your marriage or for that relationship, what if instead of perfection where we have to hold it all together, God's just like, oh, peace be with you. Oh, wholeness, healing completeness, satisfaction. Oh, just peace be with you. I know you don't have it all figured out, but part of the story is that it's okay to be wounded and imperfect. Even out of resurrection, even out of these moments where we have new awareness and new reality and new life, oh, you're still just figuring it out and you're in process. I'm going to be with you even there. For those of you who are in the midst of addiction, you're like, oh, I keep doing the thing that I don't want to do and I said I would never do it again, but here I am. What if God's even there saying, oh, peace be with you? I know that you're not doing it because you want to harm anybody. You're just trying to care for yourself, and you don't have any better way but to cope in this way. And I say that because I've been an addict for years. And I finally found a gracious God who just says, Corey, I know that you're trying to hurt yourself, but peace be with you. You're just trying to comfort yourself, and you don't know how to do it. What if you're just that person in L.A., and you survived 2020 to 2022 because those were the worst 18 years of all of our lives? <laughs> And you're like, man, I don't, know how, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And God's just like, I know, but peace be with you. Uh, we, we went from like Trump to like COVID to like wars in Russia and you could peace be with you. That we need more. That we need something beyond ourselves. And the story is that you no longer have to pretend to be perfect. That Jesus is showing us a different way. So if there's God's part, then there's also our part. And the story goes on. And it says this. And this, nope, one more verse, I promise, it's coming. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, circa 2019 style. If you forgive anyone's sins, you know I've been holding that one in for like three weeks, people. So thank you for the half laughs. I appreciate it. When I read that, I'm like, I'm really going to sneak that one in there. Um, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The story moves to this. Jesus is saying, I'm trying to show you a different way. This is why Jesus has followers, students, apprentices. Jesus wants the people to come follow him and observe how he's living life. This different version of what it means to have God in this world, this different version of what it means to be human in this world. That Even in these last moments, these final stories, Jesus is still teaching them a different way of being. Jesus is showing them that oftentimes when we're most hurt, we often hurt other people. But in this moment, when Jesus was most hurt, he doesn't come back and hurt more people. Jesus doesn't transmit the pain. Jesus transforms it. 
And so for so many of us in this room, when we've been hurt and when we've had those moments, not the moments like your car breaks down, that stuff is real and that will get you frustrated, but that moment of betrayal, that moment when other people treat you in a way that you would have never expected, when those most important relationships break down in your life, those are the moments when we want to act a certain way. I know I want to go low, right? I know I want to say some things and we feel it inside. And oftentimes maybe this list makes sense for you. Sometimes we're critical when we've been hurt. I know sometimes we get cold when we're hurt. Sometimes we begin to be cynical about what's going on in the world. No, nothing just makes sense. Oh, pish posh on that. We get condescending. We want to demean and belittle and bring things down because we're small, so we want to make other people feel small as well. And then I really ran out of C's, to be honest. Um, Then we get resentful. And you've been there. But when Jesus comes back and the first time that he sees the disciples after the moment of his betrayal, after his crucifixion, he doesn't come back and he's not critical and he's not cold and he's not cynical and he's not condescending, he's not resentful. Again, he's the chosen one. He's got a leg up on us. But he's showing us the path that, hey, this is what we're moving towards. That we, we don't have to be this way. That in these moments of being hurt, what if you can do things like get a therapist, find a spiritual director, have that group of friends where you can name these things that where you can get it out of you so that you don't have to go get it out of you and hurt that person even more over there because you know how it works when somebody hurts you and you try to hurt them back it just turns into World War III and there's never resolution to that narrative but Jesus comes back and shows us another way and we have this list here what if that when Jesus comes back what they experience is calm that when Jesus comes back that what it is is it's curious that it's creative it's a different way of seeing things instead of just being option A you like nuclear war, option B, do nothing. There's like C, D, E, F about our imagination of how we might deal with this hurt and pain in the world. What if we have compassion and empathy? What if we read books like Brene Brown and our minds are just changed and our lives are developed? I think this is what Jesus is offering us, different ways to be human. And Jesus is offering us these different ways to be human because he's first trying to show us because God is different than you already imagined. That when God came back, he didn't want to punish you and be punitive to you and retaliate against you. That when God came back, God just wanted to give you peace and peace and more peace. God just wanted more wholeness for your life, more satisfaction for your life, more healing, more health. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just saying that's what God wants for us. And God wants us to participate in the narrative as well. That what Jesus is saying here is, I've come and now I want you to go live into these things. But you're going to be my follower. You're going to be my disciple. You're going to be my students. And it's going to take a time to learn these things. And this is why you do church. Because you don't have to learn these things on your own. You get to learn these things with other people. You get to grow and support and develop and evolve so that together we're healing and that we're healthy and that we're mature and that resurrection means that we can actually change the world. That Jesus is offering us a different way to be human and for our part. And Avengers Endgame, you never thought I'd get there. Oh I love Marvel movies and because they tell this incredibly elaborate story. The truth of Marvel movies and a lot of the great movies that we have is that in that movie, half the world disappears, half the universe disappears because of Thanos, and there's a moment where they're looking for resurrection, right? They're trying to go back in time and solve the problem and bring everybody back because of the death and pain that occurred. But the version of that story is still this. We're going to go back in time, and how we're going to solve things is with more violence. How we're going to solve things is with more pain. How we're going to solve things is with more trauma. And the story of Jesus is not that. 
You will never defeat violence with more violence. You will never defeat pain with more pain. You will never fix hurt with more hurt. You can fix things with transformation and with healing. And it will take time. And it will be a slow slog, but it will be worth it. Because a temporary band-aid is different than a full-on resurrection and new life and a new world and a different way of being. And Jesus invites us into just a whole new way of being human. And so, New Abbey, may you this Easter weekend have peace and peace and more peace. May you find completeness and shalom and wholeness. May you find healing and repair. May you have resurrection that changes the way that you live in this world and changes who you are. Would you experience a version of resurrection that gives you peace in everything that you do? Would you experience a resurrection that tells you a bigger story of who God is? Would you experience resurrection in a way where you no longer have to pretend to be perfect? Would you experience a resurrection that invites you into the story as well? That this isn't a fatalistic story about God doing everything. This is a story where we are co-creators, where we follow, where we become students. And as we receive peace, then we go out into the world and we offer peace to others. May this be a week and that even in a small way, peace be with you, peace be with you in everything that you do. Into that Easter lunch, into that Easter conversation, into your Monday morning, and just to the way that you live as a human being. That what if resurrection is not just a story that happened 2,000 years ago. That what if resurrection is a whole new invitation into peace for your lives today. Would you find the same three or four and five people and answer this question with one another? How does resurrection change your life or change the world? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.